you are listening to Pharmacy IT and Me, your informatics pharmacist podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pharmacy IT and Me podcast. I'm your host, Tony Dow, and on today's episode, we have a very special guest, one of my good friends and colleague, uh, Dr. Beiju Shaw. Hey Beiju, how are you doing? Hey Tony, how's it going? Thanks for having me on the show. We've been planning this for a long time. So finally, I, I, I think yeah. you're right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's been far too long. Uh, yeah, I've been kind of, uh, to be fair uh, to Tony here, uh, everyone who's listening in, um, I've been actually pushing off uh, getting on his show for a while just because it's been super busy in health tech, uh, but we can go, get it right into all of that. Yeah, yeah. So so Beiju, uh, I've known Beiju for a number of years now. We met at ASHP. And, um, and now, you know, like Beiju, when I met Beiju, he was in pharmacy informatics specifically, and now he's jumped over to the health tech side. And I'm really interested in, you know, learning more about that. Cause honestly, I don't know exactly what you do nowadays. Um, so it is kind of cool in a way that we push this, uh, you know, this recording so far, oh, you know, in the future, because now you're in a completely new role that I'm, I'm also very interested in learning about. So. Um, you know, yeah. Tony, that was funny you say that because, you know, when we met at ASHP Media, which is uh, many moons ago, um, frankly, we met because we had this mutual kind of professional um, role, in, in, you know, in, in common. And and we understood, you know, what each other does. You know, I, I said I was in pharmacy informatics and uh, you're like, OK, that's great. So am I or vice versa. Right. And it was one of those things where we get it. But it's funny when you mentioned what we do to friends and family members, perhaps it's not often the case. So when you said, uh, you know, you don't really know what I do right now, it's, that's kind of, I had to kind of smile a little bit because, uh, you know, I still get that uh, just in a different context. So yeah, so let's get into it. You know, I, I've been a pharmacist probably about a decade, uh, largely working at academic medical centers and, and I, one specifically at MEOC in Charleston that I worked for for a number of years. And then also when I uh, jumped out of MUSC, also worked with some vendors that also worked with uh, large health systems as well. And so, you know, very familiar, both on the health system side and on the vendor side, uh, how, how to sort of uh, work with different partners and different stakeholders within health systems. So that's been a quite interesting journey. I will say also, I have been an adjunct faculty member and, and a mentor for a number of years as well. Um, and so I still enjoy that part of my, uh, you know, role and, and professional duty, so to speak. And, and I think that kind of segues really nicely into uh, what, you know, Tony, I, as, as well as David Vu and Brian Fung have built, which is the Pharmacy Informatics Academy. Um, and so there's a little bit of, I would say, an innovator's mindset within this. Um, and so throughout my journey, I've always tried to try to figure out how to solve the problem for my customer or for my user in a way that sort of is able to be a bit outside of the box and to also feed into those kind of roles that I spoke about. Yeah, you know, like I, I know that you started in um, pharmacy informatics, like uh, you know, clinical informatics and, and you know, things like that. But like, you know, just, just so that listeners kind of uh, understand, when you decided to go into pharmacy and you went through pharmacy school, was that already something on your mind or how'd you learn about like that space of uh, technology intersecting with healthcare? Yeah, great question. So basically the the sort of attraction I was to healthcare really was around, you know, personal stories. 
but one being that you know my a lot of my family members and relatives had actually gone through really bad experiences in healthcare, and so providing access to quality care has always been top of mind for me. Uh, but interestingly enough, this was not my first career. Uh, my first career actually I was planned to be in IT, and actually I, I started out um, very early on in IT. Unfortunately, it was around the same time as a dot-com bubble bust. Uh, around 2000, 2001 is when I kind of, you know, entered that domain and I I had to rethink it because, you know, obviously I was competing against folks in the industry that were also looking for jobs and had many years of experience. And so I pivoted, I actually pivoted and I did look back at healthcare and I said, you know, pharmacy sounds like a great space. And so it's kind of come back full circle right now, which is, where I landed um, in the intersection of pharmacy and tech. So that that's a kind of a neat little short story of how how I got into pharmacy um, as a second career, but uh, ultimately I was able to merge the two domains in my current yeah, role. That's that's really interesting because not I don't really talk about this much, but like for me, like in undergrad, right? Like just from the very start of undergrad, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I really was interested in technology and IT. Um, mm. But then it was more of like, you know, familial pressure, you know, like, hey, go into healthcare. Hey, pharmacy is a great career that's stable. So then, you know, starting from undergrad, then I, I went into doing like biology as a major and just had my mindset on, you know, going to pharmacy school. But still in the back of my mind, I still really enjoy technology. So it's kind of funny. like, And that's around the same time, too, uh, as the dot-com bubble, like a little bit later uh, when it busted. So, But it was like the beginning of Facebook time, right? So right. at that time... IT was still like, oh, you know, you're not going to get a job. But that's before Facebook went big and all that stuff. And yeah, so it, it's kind of like not the same as you, but kind of like a similar like way way of thinking about it, I guess, in my undergrad years. So, you know, and then, of course, I'm also like where you are today, like, you know, merging the two in my main path right now. So, so yeah, exactly. I, I just think it's like really cool, really funny how things work out, you know. It really is. And, 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 you know, just to kind of for folks listening in as well, you know, that are starting out or very early on in, in, in the stage of career building uh, and, and professional development, you know, some of this takes time. It, you know, you don't have to really expect to be in certain roles in a year or two. Like it, it could be a, a decade long plan, but ultimately just kind of knowing that you have a lot of ways to kind of find that runway and then find those opportunities and, and reach that goal. So just something to keep in mind. But sometimes it takes patience and and perseverance. So, you know, like looking at your career journey, kind of going off on that too, like you had um, uh, quite a lot of different experiences. Uh, I know that you said you started off, you know, not being in the pharmacy side, then you went to do pharmacy. I see that you also got your MBA. And uh, how has you know, your MBA studies kind of like helped out or, you know, contributed to what you're able to do in your field today? Yeah, great question. It kind of, it's a nice kind of segue into, you know, kind of day-to-day -day role and current role as well, because a lot of, a lot of this, I think a lot of the experiences I've had with the MBA program have lent itself really well into um, looking at return on investment, essentially. So whether it's, you know, going in, to the EHR, building out a order set or some decision support tool, or even some sort of automation, right? Uh, built a number of automations in my time at MUSC. Some of them actually have been patented, so I've got intellectual property around of them. Um, but you know, all that kind of goes back to like the the this, the tools from the MBA that have helped 
achieve that. So looking at return on investment, looking at sort of um, how you measure value, how you um, how you look at kind of business models even, and how do you kind of look at outcomes in, in sort of outcomes management, sort of uh, ways where it can impact the customer or the user, I think is really important. Um, and then also communication skills within that. So, um, you know, how do you market these technologies? How do you pitch these technologies to your uh, decision makers or your buyers, right? And so there's a lot of like these, I would say, business skills or financial skills uh, that are involved in, in some of that. And it's not necessarily something you learn at in uh, perhaps pharmacy school, but it's certainly a good way, you know, if you have, let's say, a dual PharmD MBA program at your college um, or at your institution, that's a great way to kind of get some of those skills. Um, so, Tony, what, what about you? I mean, ha- have you sort of um, had, had a pretty significant impact with your MBA? Yeah, actually, going through the MBA program allowed me to um, uh, get more practice on doing value stream mapping, and that's been very useful. Mm. So we we are we have oncology EHR at our organization, and there was an ask to you know um, show why we should continue this and why this is something that is um, is uh, beneficial to the institution and justify its cost. So that's when I straight up like I was still in the program, my my MBA MBA program and learning about value stream mapping. And I just straight up just applied it right then and there. Uh, so we, like our team just took out the entire oncology process of like from paper and then the value stream mapped everything out and then showed the um, the improvement in, you know, time safe, patient safety, all that stuff with the implementation of the oncology EHR. So for me, immediately I had like some, some uh, outcome benefit from like learning it in the MBA program and applying it immediately to work. So. I thought that was like really cool because I didn't really think about those kind of things before, like going through a, a business program like that. And that allowed me to have like, you know, a new lens on things. And it, it's really helpful. It's actually interesting you say that because I've talked to a number of uh, pharmacist professionals that actually have gone through an MBA program while they're at work. And and I hear similar stories. In fact, I, I would argue that that's probably the best way to learn is to learn and apply it and, and sort of um, go through that process. You actually retain perhaps more information um, and maybe learn a bit more uh, about yourself and, and insights about, you know, what your work is about um, through the process of, of going through it. So, um, you know, I, I will say the value stream mapping is really something I've, I've held on to as well for quite some time and, and, and applied it in my practice. So um, for the last probably year or so, I've worked as a customer, sort of in a customer manager or a customer success manager role. Um, and, and that really entails how do we deliver value and optimize for existing customers? And how do we look at their outcomes and goals as we do that? Uh, part of those, you know, components involve how do we engage with the customer? You know, how do we, uh, you know, create quarterly business reviews, let's say, for example, with their with the executives in that account? How do we measure the accounts, uh, you know, and, and keep a tab on it by monitoring its utilization through uh, analytics? And then how do we make sure we offer the right support, whether it's onboarding or training or, uh, you know, all of the above sort of up, you know, upselling uh, features, you know, really kind of looking at what is the customer needing and how can we deliver it? And then documenting all of that and going through that cycle again every year. So that, that sort of account management or customer success rule is something that I think is, it's a really great way 
for pharmacists to add value uh, or anyone in healthcare, like any healthcare professional to add value to, because often in health tech, you have health systems needing to drive some sort of value and, and showcase that to their leadership. And being in this customer success role, you're able to look at their perspective, figure out what their needs are, but also within that context of you know their workflows and their systems, you're able to actually understand a little bit more fully than folks without that healthcare you know experience. And then you're able to then fully assess your solution that you know your expert your expert in and figure out how to best solve for their problems. And the, each each account is very unique. I worked with accounts that are very, very large. Um, IDNs or large academic medical centers around the country, um, all the way through to startups and health tech companies that are on the smaller but leaner side of things, and, and perhaps even more agile than their counterparts. So, um, but every single time I have a conversation with them, it's always about what are the values you're seeking uh, for us to deliver, and what are your goals and outcomes, and then how can we work uh, and partner together and align on those. Yeah. Now, so. So for the yeah. people who are listening right now, just just so we can throw this in there to to put some context, your your role's title is a senior telehealth success manager, right? That's right. Less of the senior, Tony. That less of the senior, please. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, but yeah. just joking aside, uh, yeah, that that's exactly my role. And so, uh, in fact, I've I still retain that title, but I am currently in a new role, which is uh, working with our content marketing team. So. Um, in my previous role, it was really more about kind of what happens after the sale and after we acquire a customer, and then how do we ensure we retain them? How do, how do we ensure we're meeting their goals, right? Their expectations. My current role is more early stage. It's actually um, before us even a sale is made. It's more about awareness, and and it kind of speaks to my educator hat. I've always had sort of um, a, a a joy for educating other healthcare professionals. And this really fits in well, because what we're trying to do is we're trying to help guide the healthcare administrator or the provider, um, essentially any of our uh, potential customers and guide them onto how to be successful in telehealth. Why is telehealth key, essentially? So that's kind of my new role. And uh, we can get into that a little bit. So yeah, so part of uh, my content marketing role today is really around creating a strategy for our thought leadership uh, campaigns. And, and so this is where I think being a pharmacist comes in really handy because uh, what we're trying to establish and what we hope to kind of create in very soon in, in 2024 is the Telehealth Success Institute. And so my subject matter expertise uh, in, in health systems, in, in healthcare, is, is pretty crucial to that because what we're looking at is creating content around and educational content really around uh, telehealth trends, uh, some you know research that's really pointed towards uh, you know topics like prescribing, substance use disorders, uh, drug diversion, and then we're looking at best practices. How can clinicians uh, you know use these different use cases that we're uh, you know planning to share in their own practice and, and how do they become uh, successful models within their health system. So um, there's a lot within that that takes place. It, it's, you know, 
going to conferences and events, uh, speaking at industry events, uh, giving educational talks, um, uh, some public relations, you know, working with journalists, uh, researchers, media outlets, um, and then also, frankly, you know, perhaps partnering with other uh, companies, business development, and maybe some market research and intelligence out of that too. And so this is where, you know, again, this is where it's helpful to know uh, how how healthcare works from the inside out. And as a pharmacist, you know, with a decade-long experience at health systems, I think that's where a lot of really good context comes into play. Because I can, you know, I, I can easily share with my marketing team or I can share with, um, you know, my, some of my product team, you know, these are the, these are the important sort of, um, you know, uh, insights that you need to know about so that you can either stay more competitive in the industry or, uh, you know, something that we can partner, someone we can partner with to perhaps increase our reach. Uh, so we can educate more clinicians or, you know, there, there's all these different things that we can do, but it's, it's really um, a, you know, it becomes, you know, how do we, uh, how do we make sure that we're kind of rowing the right way? What, how do we make sure we're, you know, driving uh, the right, you know, feature or how do we make sure we're talking, you know, about the right topic at a webinar? Um, and it takes sort of that clinician's mindset to you know filter out what we shouldn't do and and what we probably should kind of focus on because there's a lot of things frankly to do um you know uh, there's a lot of opportunities uh to to work on it's really trying to figure out uh what is impactful for clinicians ultimately and how do we best serve them you know that kind of segues into like something else that i was wondering about and um you know obviously COVID 19 really pushed telehealth to the forefront and you know, all these companies came up with like new things, uh, you know, ways to like uh, kind of push telehealth to to to, to the masses pretty much. And um, everything is changing fast, exponentially. Like it is. How, yeah. How do you guys keep up with the changes? Because, you know, I went through some courses uh, through my certificate program. Uh, there was some telehealth medicine stuff, mm -hmm. but the books we use, they're already outdated and it's only been like yeah. a few years. So yeah. how, yeah, how do you guys keep up with that? That's such a great question. In fact, and so this is uh, actually this is this is exactly why we're uh, building the Telehealth Success Institute. Um, and and I want to give some some of your audience a little bit more um, information about that because I think it's really important to understand. You know, during COVID, everything blew up. It, I mean, blew up meaning it, everything really kind of was in this very fast, chaotic pace of adoption. Um, you know, especially in telehealth, uh, there there were health systems just like scrambling to get hold of virtual care tools so they could use them for their patients because obviously in-person visits and, and things of this nature were, um, you know, were reduced and or they were just removed from, from the workflow. And so, you know, administrators had to figure out how to do these things. And so it was a time of chaos. It was a time of like, you know, a lot of non-standardized workflows and maybe some non-compliant um, technologies and, and, and workflows being used just because you had to get done. We're at a different stage now, thankfully, which is, you know, post healthcare emergency uh, stage in health, telehealth, especially. And, and so what we're seeing today is there's a bit of a shift. Um, so during COVID, we had a lot of regulations and I, I kind of look towards prescribing, um, laws and regulations as, as a pharmacist, that's kind of what I focus on. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of other regulations 
that existed pre-COVID, um, including prescribing, that were very, um, how do you say, it? they were very, very rigid. And, and COVID created a lot of flexibilities. So a lot of those regulations were just uh, put to the side as, you know, work needed to be done and patients needed to be t- taken care of. And so now we're at the different stage where we're, we're seeing a lot of regulations and a lot of policies coming back into effect. Um, either they're coming back fully as they were pre-COVID or there's some sort of adjustment being made. So let's say, let's take, for example, uh, prescribing. Prescribing controlled substances, that's a big one, actually. Um, so in telehealth, you have you have limitations on prescribing controlled substances. Uh, one of the requirements is actually you have to have in one at least one in-person visit before you can a, a provider can prescribe a controlled substance within their scope of practice. Um, that went away during COVID because there was a waiver. It's part of the Ryan High Act, and so there's there's an exemption within that act, um, which, as your audience might know, the Controlled Substance Act is is that's a big Ryan High is a big part of that. Um, the waiver was in place. So so now we had telemedicine companies. In fact, we had a bunch of startups come into existence and just start prescribing different control substances without that in-person requirement. Well, today, we've got a little bit of extra uh, extension on that, thankfully. But we're looking at perhaps going back to some regulatory uh, rule where we may have some in-person visits as a requirement. Again, um, it may be different. But it's it's going to be you know it's going to be it may be back to sort of you know a more rigid kind of regulation and so you know these are things that are changing right now uh, and, and it's 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 not that we it's hard to keep up with the pace of change I think it's it's really more of what do clinicians really need to focus on for their practice uh, so that they can still keep up with things that are pertinent to their practice and. and and not be distracted by all the other changes that are taking place um, with regulation, with laws, and, and even with technologies. And so, um, so the Telehealth Success Institute really is built around helping each and every provider uh, and clinician stay up to date within the scope of what they really need to stay up to date with. And and just to quickly mention, Tony, um, you know, we are launching the Telehealth Success book uh, in November. And that really kind of gives anyone who's interested a, a great primer into all of these facets, all of these five pillars of success that we can talk about. Okay, so the Telehealth Success book really has these five pillars of success. Uh, the first two are patient and clinician success. How do we make each of those uh, roles successful in, in, in practice? And then the third is technology success. You know, how do we look at building a technology infrastructure that allows your practice to to be successful, uh, making sure you know things like you have a HIPAA compliant solution in place, um, as well as other uh, uh, other details, and then financial success is a fourth pillar, which you know speaks more towards reimbursement and uh, navigating, you know, getting around getting around that, um, as well as other details, and then compliance success is the fifth pillar, um, and compliance being really more around how do you stay compliant uh, as a provider. With, whether it's within your organization or within the sort of medical boards or co- government, um, and you know, part of that actually a compliance success is is what I'm really fond of is is the prescribing uh, laws and regulations and how do you stay compliant within that. So as a pharmacist, this is kind of where 
um, I'm naturally drawn to. So this is what I, I, I actually speak about quite a bit. Um, and in fact, I'm giving a, a talk um, in, in December uh, at the one of the Telehel Summit um, annual summits over here in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, and then next year, I have a few more conferences on the, on the docket to, to talk about prescribing uh, rules and regulations. So if anyone wants to hear more about that, uh, you know, or even wants to collaborate with me on, on any presentations in the future, um, yeah, feel free to reach out. You know, you, you're mentioning about the, the regulations. One of the big things that, um, you know, of course, I'm so limited in what I do uh, compared to what you do. So I just see what's an issue over here where I'm at, which is California. And California has a, I, I don't know if it's true or not, but it feels like California has really, really strict rules on prescribing. <laughs> so California, funny enough, is actually one of the most progressive states out there for telemedicine prescribing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but it's it's like there there's just a lot of like I guess it's it's thought out, right? Like there are more things thought out about it, right? Absolutely. And to your point, you know, it actually is a good model to look at because you know, it, it, interesting enough, being being the only PharmD in my company, but also one of the handful of pharmacists in in this space currently, um, what I see missing a lot. Well, firstly, what I see missing a lot is pharmacists being at a lot of these events and conferences. Um, so I'd love to see more pharmacists and, and students, uh, you know, join this space. But uh, what I also see is the lack of uh, topics So we t around dispensing. So we have like, we have a lot of topics around prescribing, right, um, out there. You know, people are talking about, you know, prescribing compliance from the prescriber or the provider's point of view. Um, but then you don't normally hear about discussions around, okay, well, once you prescribe the drug or send that prescription in, um, first of all, are you sending it in electronically or via paper? So electronic uh, meaning uh, are you electronically prescribing controlled substance? There, there are systems out there for that now. Um, in fact, there's a lot of EPCS systems um, available for uh, pharmacies to then capture that, that prescription electronically and then uh, dispense it. And so we have this layer of safety, um, you know, to 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 keep to keep the system safe from diversion, and that's not being talked about. The other thing that's really not being discussed is dispensing. So, what happens when the pharmacy pharmacy does receive that prescription, um, and what is it a controlled? Is it non-controlled? Um, how many refills uh, is does that state mandate you can give? And so, when you think about the patient ultimately getting this medicine, you have to think about what are the prescribing laws in place. What are the restrictions for that? But then also, what are the dispensing laws in place? And what are the restrictions that either enable or not uh, for that patient to actually receive that medication and be compliant with it? Um, and so, and these, and, the, and by the way, the, all of these rules and regulations, there's a federal level to that. But then each and again, every, each and every state may have its own unique uh, rules and regulations, whether it's an actual law uh, put in place by the state, or it's something that you know the medical board governs uh, policy, let's say, but it's still enforceable. Um, you know, there's a lot of variation, uh, and so ultimately, uh, we have to know how to navigate this um, both as you know the prescriber as well as the pharmacy or the pharmacist. Um, you know, helping that patient 
get get their medication. Yeah, so that's that. Yeah, that's basically what I was referring to because in California we do have the EPS, uh, sorry, EPCS systems, and we do have specific California regulations that you know. I guess like a more you know hard example to to kind of hear is that we certain you know controlled meds are classified differently in California, and um and then we use EPCS, and then these EHR vendors like the one that we use doesn't really account for that. So then it becomes a challenge for us to meet the regulations with the EHR system that we have because mm. the EHR vendor didn't really think about, you know, hey, California does things differently. You know, so there's it's those kind of challenges that I live with, you know. So Yeah, th- there's a lot of operational challenges for sure. And, and and actually, that's a really good one to talk about because it's, you know, one, one, one thing is how interoperable are some of these systems from one health system to another? And often we find out, you know, there's some, there's some really major operational barriers. I actually had a father-in-law um, who's prescribed a, uh, a pain medication, a con- obviously a controlled substance, C2, I believe. Um, and this was right after he you know, was discharged from a hospital. And, and one of the things I found out very quickly was the pharmacy that it was sent to didn't actually stock that. I think, think they were on back order or something. They didn't stock that uh, drug. And so we were like, okay, can we get it transferred over to another pharmacy? Well, um, that that doesn't actually work in practice. Even if if there's a rule or a, a regulation that says you can uh, forward that to another pharmacy, which actually there's one uh, coming into the picture here on the federal level, um, even if that rule is in place on a technology level, uh, that system is not interoperable with another pharmacy system. And so the transfer cannot take place. So ultimately what we had ended up doing was contacting the clinic that um, that physician was housed under uh, from the hospital and trying to, I think we, we spoke to like three or, f- three or four different people to then finally get through to someone who could actually prescribe uh, that medication to another pharmacy and so we could get it. Um, so, you know, it kind of begs the question, like how, how can some of our uh, rules and legislation out there, how can that align better with with you know with our, with with our professionals on the front lines and, and how can it align better with the, their workflows so that way you know these barriers for the patient aren't aren't there or or they're they're less um you know le- less uh less of a barrier yeah that's and i commend you because that's the problem that is very difficult to solve it's not going to happen overnight and you know we need to have people just you know constantly pushing it working on it and getting it you know Moving it, it is, and, and honestly, it's it's all of us as well. You know, it, it's it's and again, this is why I really would love to see more of our uh, you know pharmacist professionals uh, in kind of in this space, and it could simply mean advocating for some of these issues. Um, and so, uh, one one really great way to advocate is uh, you know some of these these policies or rules that are proposed. Uh, they're they're actually available for public commentary. Um, and you know, there's some really great examples re- of recent past where you know they 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 open up public commentary for the uh, controlled substance uh, in-person requirement, and you know there was probably around thirty thousand co- plus comments that were uh, put into that docket. Each and every one of them are read by someone, whether it's an intern or someone at at you know the federal level, and and so the thirty thousand comments for this. Um, for this proposed rule that I, that I spoke about, um, that was one of the reasons why we have uh, a year's uh, a year basically 
uh, of an extension in in the flexibilities for prescribing controlled substances. Um, this this one year is is a big thing, but it, it likely happened because of the, the amount of comments received. So so I definitely urge anyone listening in. You know, if there are uh, opportunities where you can add your comment, and I would say each individual, not organization, but each individual of that organization, uh, because the more counts, the better. Um, add your public comments and and also give a great story or example of why your comments matter. I think that's a really great way to advocate for better regulations that match our current practice and our operations. It's funny the way that, you know, um, it's government, so it's probably similar, but the way that you're describing how the process is, it's very similar to like at a local level where I participate in Orange County uh, Pharmacy Association around here. And, you know, uh, sometimes those state regulations for, you know, pharmacy law, it's the same way, um, trying to get like public opinion uh, or like support sending letters, you know, all that stuff to kind of like push it through. So yeah. it sounds, yeah, it sounds similar, like a similar process. And, um, but yeah, like when, when these things come out, like, how do you, how do you, how do you guys hear about it and how can we hear about it? Yeah. Uh, so, so that's a good question. <laughs> right. Currently I, I just hear about it through a couple of formats, you know, through newsletters, uh, you know, signing up for some of the federal newsletters, the DA, uh, FDA, a few others, like SAMHSA, I think, a few others that I can think about. Um, and then just like really getting my news through uh, the news feeds on social media um, and then through some of my uh, more immediate connections in the industry. Um, but I think that that's always been a challenge is like, how do you stay up to date? Um, and I, I would say, again, that's probably a better, a, you know, there's a, probably a better way to do this, but um for now, those are the kind of the, the main the main ways I've I've been able to stay up to date. Um, with the Telehealth Success Institute that we're building, one of the things we want to do is make sure that we have some of this these breaking kind of news items, these new legislative updates, um, all of these kind of these kind of resources pa- packaged up well, so that way you don't have to look really look at multiple like outlets to get your your updates on it's really a one-stop shop so that's the that's the goal and uh, you know th- there's always going to be a, a lot of room for improvement there but yeah that's that's sort of the goal uh because you know ultimately providers clinicians pharmacists all all of the above yeah you know, everyone's really just busy in in, in their practice and in the day-to-day um you know role so it, it, it's it's really hard um understandably to stay up to date I'm assuming that people can also follow you on LinkedIn, and then <laughs> when you post and repost these things too. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and that, you know that that just goes back to you know I think I think it's nice to have def- definitely able to have a way to share um, on a on a platform that you can self publish on. So LinkedIn is a great way to to get information out to the larger community. I will say it's a great way for others to do the same. So I encourage anyone who's listening in, you know. Share ideas, share your share the news uh, that's relevant in your industry because it really helps the community kind of get better with with some of this um, some of this information and get better with maybe advocate advocacy or or just staying up to date, right? Um, so I think LinkedIn is definitely a, a great platform to do that and uh, also a great platform to connect on. So yeah, yeah, and you know, segueing into uh, into that part, like from connecting, uh, you know, like when people are looking into trying to move into the space of like some sort of like technology and healthcare 
you know, like someone that is working maybe already as a, a you know typical pharmacist, or maybe they're a student right now and they're trying to find a career path. I know that you went through a very, you know, unique path in terms of like graduate pharmacy school, did pharmacy informatics, went into like uh, vendor side, and then now you're doing telehealth. Is there any like things that you would suggest from your experience that someone can do or, you know, kind of like um, make their path towards that? I actually was thinking about this this question um, from a student that sort of messaged me the other day, just like two days ago. And um, yeah, I was just thinking about like, you know, what what are the takeaways here? Main takeaway for me is that there's no right or wrong path. Ultimately, it's really what are your what what's your what's your mission that you want to get on? What 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 problem do you want to solve, and and how impactful do you want to be? So for me, it was always about impacting patients from from a level of how do we leverage technology, right? Um, I think the same same is true for you, Tony, right? So we're we're pretty pretty much, you know, aligned on that. But I think the one one thing that I, I've discovered through my journey is, well, it's two things, actually. So one is uh, getting to know who you want to work for is important. So I'll give you the short story, but it's basically how I got into Doxy.me was actually a little bit accidental in some ways. Um, so the reason I got into Doxy.me was I actually became a patient myself. I went through the patient journey for a number of months. And at the end of that a road uh, of recovery, you know, I, I, I looked at these virtual care tools that I've been using to navigate back to baseline, and they were so, so impactful to me that I decided, you know, this is really what I want to spend my time working on and helping others with. And, and at the same time, uh, at the very tail end of it, I actually decided doxy me because I accidentally enough um, had met the founder and CEO, Brandon Welch. Uh, prior to uh, prior to this, in in a former life, uh, actually, when I was back at MUSC, um, I was actually one of his uh, guest lecturers at one of one of the uh, bioinformatics courses he he was a professor of. And so, um, just knowing that he came from uh, academia uh, was really important to me. Um, in fact, he's he's uh, he's probably one of the few companies he's created one of the few companies that has a, a large, robust research team within the company that provides uh, research, novel research for telehealth. Um, you know, we've actually uh, built a, a large NIH funding program uh, through this team. And so, you know, at the core of the DNA of the company is academia. And so just kind of knowing who you want to work for and, and what kind of impact you want to make, I think those are the two most important things for me that I've been able to take away. Um, so I think I think those are things to look at really closely because often you will find companies out there that may not have any one of those components, and you could be you know you you could look at it as you know is that a really a good fit for you or not? Yeah, I think fit with the company is like a very important thing because you know you can you can always like want this job that's really great and everything, but then when you get there and you're not like a good fit, it really just like brings you down in the role like. Yeah, there's just so much to say about like the people you work with, you know. Absolutely, and the mission you're on. So yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, so um, you know, like if people wanted to reach out to you uh, directly, like for any more specific questions, what's the best way that they can uh, can reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so anyone can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I've actually, uh, you know, I'm open to all connection requests as well as messages. Um, you know, especially if you're looking to collaborate. 
next year, uh, 2024, I'm looking to uh, engage as a speaker or on panel presentations. So if you have an idea uh, that you'd like to work with me on, I'd uh, love to collaborate. And then also, uh, you know, if you're looking for getting started in telehealth, uh, you know, sure, there's some basics out there. There's going to be the telehealth success book um, that I've linked to on my profile. But, uh, you know, if I, I highly recommend anyone who wants to use any of these solutions just to try try them all out, you know, actually use them, see if they work best for your for your needs, your practice. Um, and, you know, if you do need any help, one great thing about DocsyMe is you can sign up for a free account and get a HIPAA compliant call uh, set up right away uh, without even touching base with me. But if you do need some, uh, you know, if you do need some help or some advice around uh, anything we've talked about, you know, feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to help. Awesome. Awesome. So thank you for being on the podcast. I know you're super busy, obviously, <laughs> with all your, your changes and all the uh a lot of the stuff that you already shared about, like that you're working on. So thank you for being on the podcast, sharing. And, you know, for the listeners, I'll, I'll put a link over to um, any of the content that we talked about, possibly the telehealth success uh, book that's going to be coming out soon. Um, maybe by the time you guys hear this podcast, it will be out. I'm not sure yet. But um, but yeah, I'll, I'll put more information in the show notes for for any of you who uh, want to learn more about that or to reach out to Beiju, I'll put the link to his LinkedIn as well. But, you know, to be respectful of your time, Beiju, thank you again so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Tony, for having me. And and again, thank you for uh, also being an advocate in our community. Uh, you, you were sort of the one of the first uh, folks I met uh, that really had sort of a pioneer mindset and um, really appreciate what you've done with, with, with bringing everyone's voices on this podcast, especially. So... Appreciate your time and uh, appreciate your advocacy. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Pharmacy ITME podcast. If you did, please rate us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere you're listening to this podcast. It really helps us reach more people who might be interested in learning more about pharmacy, informatics, and technology. If you would like to suggest a topic or somebody to be on the podcast, feel free to reach out to me on social media. I can be best reached on LinkedIn. Until next time, remember, technology is the tool, patient care is the goal. Oh, 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 o